This lesson is called that which defiles. What does it mean? That's a Bible word there. What does it mean to defile something? Yeah, deface it. That's a good word. Okay. Yes, spoil it. That's another good word. Okay. Uh, In the case of the way it's used biblically, generally it means to make inappropriate. In other words, you might have said, okay, I got my clothes all laid out, what I'm going to wear today. And then when you took the shirt off, you realized you'd spilled something on it the last time you wore it. And now you're going, it's, what is it? It's defiled. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But what is it that defiles people? <laughs> that's, that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. Definition. We're going to define the word tradition because it comes up again and again as Jesus deals with the Pharisees' traditional views on things that defile And then Jesus' views on things that really defile. In fact, sometimes, like for instance, let's say that you were so worried about not wearing um, your shirt that had the stain in it, okay, that you went and got a different shirt because that shirt was defiled, okay? You put it on, and then you went to your meeting, and you forgot to put on pants, Okay, that's the Pharisees, (laughs) okay? They took care of the shirt, (laughs) they overlooked the more weightier matters, right? And Jesus is going to have a little disagreement with him. He defines, Jesus defines tradition here as a long-established custom or belief that has been passed on as a valid principle for living from one generation to another. Now, tradition is not a bad thing. Okay, but among human beings it can sometimes become difficult and sometimes even funny. Okay. You may have, for instance, like I know there are a number of them that surround things like, how do you prepare Thanksgiving dinner in your family? Well, it has to have, the, the, the stuffing has to have this in it or that in it. Or how do you play a family game? You ever played like an old game like Monopoly? And when you sit down, everybody's got a different set of rules. And I've read the rules that are on the back of the box because I'm a nut when it comes to that kind of stuff. You're right. (laughs) And almost none of those rules are in there. But people have their own little, that's the way we play it. That's the way you're supposed to play it. That's the way you're supposed to do it, right? Now you get the understanding of a tradition that is passed on. Now, most of the time, they're just... They make the way we play the game distinctive, so it's fun, not a problem, okay? Or they make your, uh, your Thanksgiving special, but <laughs> sometimes traditions, particularly when we try to apply them to more important personal matters and internal matters, can get in the way of personal growth and development, can't they? Right, Because if traditionally you've been taught that something is wrong, even if it would be good for you to do a little of that, you can't bring yourself to do it because tradition is just like locked you in. Or if tradition says it's okay to do this, even if God convicts you of it, that it's something that's not good in your life, your whole family's ever done. I know some people who grew up, everybody in their household smoked. That's just what you did. Okay, and then that becomes part of the problem later when you have to have to quit, right? Because it's just like part of being part of this family. You light one up after after dinner and at this time and that time and the other time, 
And, and that makes it hard, but of course that's the tradition that's killing people. Right? Okay? But that doesn't help you quit anymore because, of course, it's an addiction. Tradition. You get the idea. Let's get started with tonight's lesson. The origin of tradition. Chapter 7, Mark, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law. Now, teacher of the law. Uh, what's the word, by the way, in the King James? Scribe. Scribe. Yeah, rabbi is, is just teacher, but the word for teacher of the law, that's, that's the NIV translation of the word scribe. And the reason for it is, we use the word scribe. A scribe is somebody who copies stuff, okay? But that's not what scribes in Jesus' day were. They were the ones who copied the law, and that's the only way you could get a copy of the law for your local uh, synagogue. But... They didn't just copy the law. Because they were the ones who copied the law, they were the ones who were most familiar with the law, and therefore they were the ones who interpreted for the average person what the law was really saying and how it applied to everyday life. Now, in Jesus' day, not all the time, but in Jesus' day, um, most all of the scribes or teachers of the law were themselves Pharisees. Pharisee was a party, a sect of the Jews. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, Zealots, Essenes, those were some of the smaller ones. These were all Jewish people, but just like we're all Americans, but some of us are Republicans, some of us are Democrats, some of us are far right wing, some of us are leftists, you know, and it's, it's all over the board, and we probably have all, all of those in our church, and that's why I try not to even think of political thought, because that's just best for my, for my job. <laughs> but the, the truth is that uh, we're all Americans, right? We may not like some of those other Americans, but we're all Americans. And all of the Pharisees were not teachers of the law, but almost all of the teachers of the law were themselves Pharisees. The Pharisees had taken on this role in Jewish society of preserving spirituality in Israel, keeping their spiritual identity. Now, that sounds like a really nice job, doesn't it? Like it's a good thing for them to do, except for they went about it, of course, in entirely the wrong way. They had 101 rules to follow, and the person who followed them the best, that was the most spiritual person. And of course, as Jesus would teach, that's not the way it works. So, when it says the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, Jesus is still up in Galilee. They're going all the way up to Galilee to check out what Jesus is teaching. Gathered around Jesus. And saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were, there's our word, defiled. That is unwashed. Now, what you need to understand is, they're not talking about unhygienic hands. Okay, I assume that all of you wash your hands before you eat, and probably before you do other things, particularly at this season of colds and stuff, right? But there's how you wash your hands, and then there's how a surgeon washes his hands. Okay, well, the Pharisees believed in a process of washing your hands that was more detailed than a surgeon's process. 
Okay. They would pour the water on one hand of that, being very careful not to, because if you touch your hand to wash it, then you're defiling it with the other hand. And then on the other side, and, this, and the le- left hand came first, palm down, right hand, palm, or palm up, palm down, then reverse, pour the water gently, dry, repeat. <laughs> okay? And they did all this because they said, well, maybe your hands are clean, but they're not ceremonially clean. Okay. They are defiled unless you not wash your hands, but wash your hands according to our prescribed pattern for washing your hands. Okay. So when the disciples were eating with unwashed hands, it means they hadn't followed the little ceremony. We'll assume they washed their hands. Okay? They were probably really hungry. <laughs> Sometimes you may have a whole process that you follow. You know? It's like uh, you ever think about you're at dinner and everybody's just starving and the food just smells great and it's, it's hot now and we don't want it to get cold. And are there certain people you never ask to pray? That time. Right, right, because that's the only time they pray, and they, they pray while food grows cold, right, right in front of you. You want, you want somebody who's spiritual enough to pray, but not so terribly spiritual that they pray all evening and you never get a chance to eat, right? Well, the Pharisees were like that, right? They would take so long washing their hands in the proper way so that they felt sanctimoniously clean when they went to eat that uh, they then taught everybody to do exactly the same thing. Man, John, this is really moving slow. Your clicker. The Pharisees and all the Jews, but it's moving better than my tablet was, so I will say that. Do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Now that's important. Notice how it's in parentheses. That means he felt like an an explanation was necessary, and it is necessary, because when you read that, you're thinking, yeah, that's kind of crude that they just jumped in and ate with dirty hands. That's not what's being talked about here. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. In other words, who decides what a ceremonial washing is? According or holding to the tradition of the elders. That the elders were probably had something all in common. What were the elders? They were all dead. (laughs) Okay. In other words, probably somebody decided, here's how I do it. Everybody ought to do it this way. And um, the guy was seen as a really spiritual person, so everybody else started doing it. They forgot to ask him or her why they did it that way. Right? Why they did it that way. I'll bet if you think really hard, you have a family tradition that you still do and nobody really knows why you do it because the person who started it died, right? Without explaining to you why we do it this way, why we fix it this way, why we prepare it this way, why we wait this long, why we do it in this order, why we never do this on this day. I mean, there are some, like when you get to Christmas, I, I just love hearing the families talk about some of them you would think that if you opened a present on Christmas Eve, you ought to be taken out and shot. You know, and other people, oh no, that's when we, we pick the favorite one and we open it there. Oh, we open all our presents on, uh, right? 
Have you heard those things? Okay, like traditions. Tradition. Is there a right way to do it? There's not a right way to do it. However you do it, it's fine. But the thing is, it's easy to want everybody else to do it your way. The elders wanted that too. When they come from the marketplace, still in parentheses, they do not eat unless they wash. Now this was a problem for Jesus because (laughs) Jesus and the disciples basically had no place to live. They had places where they stayed, (laughs) but they didn't have a base of operations where they hung out. They ate at the, you know, drive-up window most of the time. And they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, the washing of pitchers, washing kettles. I have washed dishes with at least 20 different women. <laughs> okay? And I always, whenever I'm washing dishes or drying, doing the other half with women, I always watch to see how they do it because they get really upset if you do it differently than they do it. They're absolutely certain the right way to wash a dish if you want it to be ceremonially clean for the next meal, I guess, right? I just figure if it gets clean, it gets clean, but that's just me. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Okay, They're not saying, why don't you do what the Scriptures teach us or what the Old Testament law has taught us. They're not talking about that. They're talking about how someone decided to interpret the Old Testament law. According to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with judgment, what kind of hands? Defiled hands. Okay? I'm not saying... They, this was not a question of curiosity. This was a question of condemnation. Okay? The question of curiosity would have been, huh, that's not the way we prepare to eat. Why do you do it? That would be a question of curiosity. They're saying, what's your problem? <laughs> okay? How come you're so sinful? You're not doing it our way. That, that can't be the right way. You're not doing it our way. The commandments of God that He has given to mankind are necessarily interpreted by beings, aren't they? Okay. And almost every one of the laws has to be interpreted Largely because situations and applications vary, don't they? Okay. And they vary a great deal from one culture to the next, for sure. Like, for instance, uh, take the Ten Commandments. How many of you try very hard to follow the Ten Commandments? Okay. So, thou shalt not kill. Last time you, you, you had a bacteria in your body, did you take an antibiotic? You were killing, weren't you? Okay. Oh, that's going to take some interpreting, isn't it? Okay. Newer versions have changed it to, thou shalt not commit murder. But even then, you've got to stop and go, okay, what constitutes murder? Can you murder a, a, a virus, a germ? <laughs> yeah. 
if you're going to, if some, a lot of people who are strict vegetarians and others think that about, yeah, eating animals for food. Now, now the interest, pardon? But they'll kill the plant. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Well, but also the curious thing is, yeah, that is right. That is kind of, hmm, what's with that? But, but the thing is, thing is, they're doing that and kind of looking down their nose at those of us who are meat eaters, like, what is wrong with you, you barbarians? And then our reaction is to look back at them and go, they're crazy. <laughs> Why is it we can't say, well, they're applying the law the way they think it's best for their lives as God has led them, and I'm doing it the way God's directed and led me. And that might be different, mightn't it? Okay? I mean, uh, for one woman, it might be a sin to wear makeup. For another, it might be a sin not to wear makeup. Could that be possible? Yeah. <laughs> for most, it probably doesn't much matter one way or the other. But, again, little things like that, there's not like a law regarding it. Jesus oftentimes pressed that, didn't he? Like, the the the... Pharisees had detailed explanations as to what each of the laws meant. In fact, they had a book, scroll in that day, but then a book, called the Talmud. And the Talmud was a book that interpreted the laws of Leviticus. Now, the laws of Leviticus can be fit in a book this big, and the Talmud, which interpreted Leviticus, is about this big in, or in several volumes. Okay. For instance, the book that covers just how to keep the Sabbath law is about this thick. You know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh you shall rest. But then that brings up the question, doesn't it? What's it mean to work, and what's it mean to rest? Well, they interpreted it this way, and they had all kinds of detail. They would say things like... Um, is it all right to pick up your child on the Sabbath? Yes, but be sure to check their pockets first because if one of your little boys put a stone in his pocket for throwing at somebody later, right, and you picked him up, that's work. Okay, and you just sinned without knowing it, but you sinned nonetheless. Uh, they would say, is it all right to spit on the Sabbath? There was, there's like a whole like paragraph on this. Well, that depends. <laughs> if your spit hits some hard object, no problem. Like if you in a spittoon or something, that, that works. But if your spit hits the ground, and the ground is wetted by your spit, turns to mud, mud makes bricks, that's work. <laughs> this is in the Talmud. Okay. They would have a thing that said, uh, they made up a thing called a Sabbath day journey because they thought, how far is it okay to travel on the Sabbath if you're supposed to be resting? I mean, if you've ever been on a road trip, you know that's not very restful. Okay, and they're saying like, so there ought to be a limit. So they determined a distance that they called a Sabbath day journey. And they said, don't travel further than this on the Sabbath. And then somebody said, because whenever you do this, then there are loopholes. Right? And somebody said, yes, yes, but where is your home? 
I mean, you can only travel a Sabbath day journey from your home, but where is your home? And they decided your home is any place where your possessions are. So if for some reason on the Sabbath you needed to travel more than a Sabbath day journey, all you had to do was go out on Friday and drop off one of your possessions, a Sabbath day journey, and another of your possessions, another Sabbath day journey, and another, another, until you got to the place you wanted to go the next day. Then you didn't break the law because you'd only traveled a Sabbath day journey. <laughs> okay, <laughs> That's the Pharisees and the interpretation of law. That's the world into which Jesus was placed when he did his ministry. The law has to be interpreted by human beings and then expressed in a manner that makes them applicable to the time and culture in which you live. Uh, like, for instance, society makes laws regarding what's appropriate for lots of things. I'll never forget my, uh, my uncle, your uh, grandpa, Cletus. Have you ever heard him tell this story? He, when he was in the um, Navy, they boarded in the Philippines and, and yeah, and, and, and when they got there, the, the men who had been out at sea for a long time and hadn't even seen any women because there were no women in the Navy back in those days, the, the women came to greet them at the dock, thankful that they had delivered them, and they were all topless. Well, that was very awkward and uncomfortable for them, so they decided to take uh, Navy t-shirts and donate them to the women so they could wear them so it would be less awkward for them when they saw the women. All right. Well, so they did that, and they were very proud of themselves. The next day, here comes the women up, up the dock. They're so proud to greet the men, and there they are wearing their t-shirts with holes cut out for their breasts. <laughs> because that was that culture, Right? It's not like there's a right way or a wrong way to a part of your skin that should be exposed and a part that shouldn't be exposed. But different cultures probably apply. However, you know, uh, I'm glad that no women came here tonight that way because that would be awkward for me to teach, right? Because that's not part of our culture and society and I probably couldn't even put two words together. <laughs> See? One way is not right and the other way wrong. It's a cultural difference. And so you have to take the law of God that's eternal and say, how does it apply to my culture, my situation, my world, my relationships, God's calling in my life? You know, some of those things like where people, things that people give up or go without. Okay? Like, for instance, um, I drive a junker car. That's actually an expression of my faith because it's not something I want to spend money on. So I try to find the best junker I can find so I don't have to put any maintenance money into it either. But that's not a right way to do it. There's nothing wrong with having the nicest car that money can buy if that's what God's directed you to. Particularly if you're going to use it to like maybe take people to church and do stuff like that. It's probably an awesome thing to do. Okay? And I, I don't feel any spiritual superiority for that. I just feel like Oh, by the way, when I first started uh, working at Fairhaven, there was an old guy there who had been a Christian for most of his life and grown up in churches, and he told me that he was embarrassed to tears at the car I drove. <laughs> he said, a pastor should have a better car. And he offered to buy me a new car. I said, 
You give me the money, I'll give it to missions, I swear. So don't give it to me unless you want it to go to missions because I'm not buying a new car with your money. I don't, think, I don't think I can even have you preach in this place driving a car like that. <laughs> well, that was part of his, what he believed. Okay, Really nothing wrong with that. But there's also nothing wrong with the way I believe that I just as soon... I don't even spend money on a car wash, let alone a car. <laughs> you know how I clean the inside of my car if somebody else is getting in to ride? I like sweep off the seat like that, use my hand. I'm not recommending that for other people. I'm just saying there's not one way's right and the other way's wrong. So what's the problem with tradition? Well, we sort of touched on it, but listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right, <laughs> you think? Isaiah was a prophet, so of course he was right. When he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now, the interesting thing is we're very familiar with the word hypocrite. Even non-religious spiritual people use the word hypocrite. In fact, they oftentimes call us hypocrites, right? Uh, but the word hypocrite was never used in the spiritual sense until Jesus used it. It's not in the Old Testament. Okay. Isaiah talked about them and prophesied about them, but he didn't call them hypocrites. Jesus called them hypocrites. The curious thing is that the Hippocrates was the mask. Have you ever seen the thespian mask for acting that has the happy face and the sad face? That, okay? And they would wear those on stage to portray a character. All right? That's the Hippocrates. It, so when he calls them hypocrites, he's saying, you mask wearers. Now, this was quite popular in the day. In fact, there's a very good chance, you remember me mentioning a couple of times, that it's likely that Jesus was a stonemason, not a carpenter in the sense of building things out of wood, largely because the word can be translated either way, tecton, and there were no real carpenters who built like houses out of wood in that in Jesus' day in Palestine. Right? So it's like he was a stonemason. And as a stonemason, living in Nazareth, uh, they have looked at some of the big structures that were built out of stone in Jesus' day. And one of them, that there's a very good chance that Jesus, growing up in a, the Tecton carpenter's house, might have helped build, was the, um, the playhouse that was named after Herod that was up there where great shows were played. And again, the Hippocrates was worn often. And so everybody in that area would have saw the connection. Okay? You mask wearers, he's saying. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. One of the ways in which we honor God with our lips, but not our hearts, is with how we apply God's laws to our lives. The way we apply God's laws to our lives, if we're hypocrites, is we don't apply them to our lives. Who do we apply them to? Other people's lives. Exactly. We're saying, like, I know what you ought to be doing. I know what you ought to wear. I know how you ought to live. I know what words you ought to live. I know what kind of jobs you should do or shouldn't do. I know for you, well, how do you know that? <laughs> okay, Because in your heart, God's not going to direct you regarding the application of the law 
in somebody else's life, but in your life. And when those of us who have been given the real scary job, as I put it in this setting, it does sound pretty scary, of interpreting God's Word, it's very important that you open up the meaning of God's Word so that you can apply it to your life. And then challenge you not to leave having heard the word until you've applied it. Then, if invited to, we can help you see possible applications. But you've got to apply the word to your life. Otherwise, what is the pastor? I'm a hypocrite, right? If I'm telling you what God wants you to do instead of being more concerned about what God wants me to do, I'm just a hypocrite. So were they. They worship me in vain. It's pretty sad. In other words, vain here means empty, meaningless, pointless. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. Now, I gave you some of their human rules, didn't I? And when you heard them, they sounded absurd to you. That's because you're 2,000 years removed. Without stepping on toes, I'm not going to mention any, but churches have them today. I'll mention one that's kind of past, but is more recently past. I got saved in a church that was the only church I knew, because... None of my family until right at that moment started going to church. And in that church, I can pretty well guarantee you, I'm not sure it was said directly, but everybody knew, you went to a movie, you were going straight to hell. I'm not exaggerating, one iota. You went to a dance, hell. (laughs) Okay, this is what they taught. I know several people who got like kicked out of the choir because they went to a movie. Or they actually were seen in a line. Getting Back in those days, you had to line up outside the movie theater, remember, to, to go in. And that would be like, you better have a Hippocrates on to, <laughs> to hide your face, right? And then, like 30 years after I got saved, I happened to be at a meeting where the pastor of the church where I got saved was preaching made three references in the sermon to movies. (laughs) I guess God changed his mind. (laughs) Again, just because in one person's culture or world or what's socially acceptable, people think this is right, this is wrong. Okay, That's not necessarily God's opinion. He trusts us enough to take the eternal principles of his word Gives us the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us. Gives us people who are gifted as teachers to help us. So that we can apply God's word to our own lives. I I just happened to think of this because I was looking at a, a couple of people to whom this will apply. That's exactly what Bill W. did. He did a really good job of taking God's words and applying it to a very real issue in people's lives that he knew about. 
That's exactly what he did. He was probably a better Bible teacher than half of the pastors because he did such an effective job of saying, you know, God's Word has something to say about something that has nothing to do with God's Word, but God's Word applies to everything. And how many people's lives have been changed as a result? But, okay, (laughs) the specifics, not so much because that's not the way it works. You have let go of the commands of God, says Jesus, and are holding on to human traditions. Not only do we sometimes take God's word and try to expand it into a universal application for everybody, but having done that, we sometimes then make the application more important than the law itself. I mean, probably would have been a good idea if back when I got saved, the pastor was preaching, you know, as a Christian, you need to think about the things you see and look at. Where you go, what kind of things you listen to, the material you read, the movies you go to, the people you hang out with, (laughs) the things that you let occupy. I mean, that's a pretty biblical principle. Check out Philippians 4.8, right? If it would have taught that instead of saying, so don't go here, don't do this, don't wear one of these, don't have this. Do, don't, do, don't, do, don't. Right? Those are application things. And then pretty soon, you can have the most corrupt heart in the world. Jesus pointed that out. He said, you know, the Pharisees made a big deal about what constitutes actual adultery. And pretty much, they took the, like, Bill Clinton approach you know and he goes right what is is and i did not have sex with that woman well what means having sex with her then after what came out going like oh that sounds like sex (laughs) to me but the thing is again it's a matter of application jesus said well i'll tell you this if you've looked at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart oh that's a very personal app because who knows what's going on in my heart except me and God. Okay? That's a very personal application of God's word, isn't it? When I'm looking at you and going, I saw you with somebody you shouldn't have been with, I bet you're committing adultery and I'm casting judgment on you. Instead of taking God's word and applying it to my own life, I'm applying it to your life. And that's a problem. And he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. That's a problem, isn't it? (laughs) In other words, you overlook what God is trying to say to you that has very real application to your human condition while you're trying to enforce laws and rules and regulations broadly that don't necessarily apply to everybody else. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That's not in the Ten Commandments, but it is in the Levitical law. In other words, by the way, when it says that, usually all that means is God takes this very seriously. 
Okay? He's trying to preserve a nation and cause them to prosper in the land he's going to give to them. Okay? People who don't respect where they came from okay, are in trouble. <laughs> okay? Even if you had really bad parents, they gave you life. Learn to express respect for them on that level or you'll suffer as a result. They won't suffer. You'll suffer. It's in God's Word. That's universally applicable. Regardless of who your parents were, regardless of how easy your childhood was or wasn't, whether you were raised by your actual parents or adopted parents or grandparents or whoever it was, it applies right across the board. Respect your origin, where you came from. But you say, oh, this was something the Pharisee, yes. See now though, here, it, in what you said, mm-hmm. Except for, first of all, both of those laws were given to the Jewish nation, again, as a purpose for establishing a moral code for their life in the new land. He gave government the power to do that, to put to death. And that's who he's speaking to there. He's not just saying randomly go out and stone somebody because you think they committed adultery. In God's word, there was a a process through which that went. And again, it applied to Jews, it doesn't apply to us. Except for it does apply to us, because it applies to us because the heart of the law is your, where you came from is very important. Learn to respect that or you will suffer. Life will not go well for you if you don't. In fact, that law is repeated in the New Testament and it's repeated like that. And it will go well with you in the land and you will prosper. That's also said. It isn't just said, you know, we're going to have to execute this person. It's also said, people who work through their hard things with family members and that, in order to have a healthy uh, relationship and connection with their family origins, will do well. Well, that's pretty much proven in the world of psychology. Then you no longer let them do anything for their mother or father. I, oh, I skipped over part of it. You say he's, he's addressing a particular thing that the Pharisees did that was hypocritical. You say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God. Sounds like a tax loophole, doesn't it? All right. If you say that... <laughs> whoops. Went the wrong direction then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. In other words, they said like, well, you know, I'd love to help my mother and father, but I dedicated everything I own to God. Sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? Okay, it was just a loophole for avoiding their responsibility to take care of their parents. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Instead of developing traditions that effectively apply God's word, you've used your traditions as loopholes to avoid having to apply God's word to your life. And you do many things, says Jesus, like that. The difficulty with such interpretations is that they are consistent with times and customs 
that are constantly, constantly changing. Uh, you've heard of like religious cults and groups that, that say, we're, we're going to be just like Jesus and his disciples. And so they start wearing long robes and make sure all the men have, have beards and they speak in King James English because I guess that's what they thought Jesus talked like. And, that, and somehow they think that, well, that's just a lifestyle from a culture that existed 2,000 years ago. It has nothing to do with the eternal truths and principles of God's Word that apply to every culture and every time and every generation. The key is to find how they apply to me living in the 21st century. Not how they applied to a previous group. That does me no good. I have to apply God's Word to my life, to the way I live. Some people and some groups become anti, we would say, progress. <laughs> Whatever you would call it. They refuse to live in the current culture because they think the previous culture was more spiritual. Well, not so. God's eternal truths apply to every culture and group. When written, the laws are written, they are, were likely, the traditions rather, they were likely faithful to the intention of the writer. But later, they are far from their original meaning. In other words... There probably was some reason why they developed this Korban law <laughs> to be able to dedicate things to God and then you don't, aren't available to use them for other things. But they were using it for all the wrong reasons. And that's the key of the truth of God's laws is they speak to the heart of us which is in our motivation, isn't it? Okay, Not just what you do, but why you do it. Since I already applied it early, earlier to addictions, that's, that's a good example, by the way. Okay? We, this is how I define alcoholism. It's not what you drink. It's not when you drink. It's not how much you drink. It's not where you drink. It's always, what? What's the last question? Why you drink? <laughs> why? Okay? If you deal, because that's the only way you can cope, because that's the only way you can relate, because that's the only way you can get your feelings out. Those are lousy reasons. <laughs> and probably best set it aside so that you can find the right reasons for doing the right things. Not bogus reasons for doing the wrong things. The correction of tradition. Then we've got to close. I must have been too wordy tonight, sorry. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of the person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? <laughs> What's your major malfunction here? You guys are really dumb. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? 
For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. That's, that's a pretty basic description of digestion, isn't it? In saying this, Jesus declared, all food is clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. In other words, every act of sexual immorality begins with an immoral thought. Theft. Rarely is theft really done impulsively. Usually you think through it and you probably pass over two or three opportunities till you get up the courage to do it. Or murder. Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. <laughs> All these come from inside and defile a person. In other words, the sin is internal not external. That's why two people can do the same thing and for one person it can be a sin and the other person is not a sin. Because it's all about what kind of heart condition the activity flowed out of. The problems inside. Jesus was on to something, wasn't he? Yes? <laughs> Folly means doing things that are pointless and silly just for a momentary thrill or entertainment. Without, like for instance, like let's say you're like teasing somebody and making fun of them, okay? And, and it's hurting their feelings, but everybody else is just chuckling and thinking it's really funny. Folly. Spending all your money on something that's going to, like a, let, let me just take all my cash here and we'll have a party tonight. Okay? And then tomorrow I'm going like, huh, what am I going to eat for lunch? <laughs> okay, that's folly. Does that make sense? To properly apply God's law to the very real situations in our everyday life, each of us must prayerfully adapt the meaning of God's word to the context in which we find ourselves. Now, who are you prayerfully adapting the meaning of scripture to? Your life, not your neighbor's life, not the person down the aisle at church's life, not the pastor's life, not even really your kids' lives, even though there's a different role in early days of parenting. Like you've heard people say like, well, I didn't make my kids come to church because then they'll just hate church later. And that's like such a, whoever came up with that idea, that's like stupidest idea you ever, anybody ever came up with. No, what happens is when parents try to make their kids believe that you can't do. <laughs> That's a personal thing. Okay, you can expose them to church just like we don't go to that restaurant, we go to this restaurant. Well, it's a family thing. You can go to whatever restaurant you want to. And we go to church, we don't go to church, we go on to this service, we don't go to that service, whatever. It's all right to have family traditions that affect spirituality as well as other we vacation here we don't vacation over there they're just a question like that but don't ever try to force somebody to believe like you believe or believe what you believe if your beliefs are so important in your life then you'll model them in a way that they'll at least be interested in knowing more about it if not pursuing them that's what you can do 
Last portion, real quickly, I'll just read it and we'll close. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre, entered a house, and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Now, Tyre is Gentile country. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter, little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now Jesus is going to make a point. <laughs> First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. They didn't use the word dog in the same derogatory word way that we use it. What he was saying is, um, we feed the family first, then we feed our pets and animals. Well, I think we practice that, that same thing probably. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. So what is required of us that we might be clean before God? Only faith. What was it this woman had that made her clean? She wasn't, she wasn't clean enough to receive a miracle. And then suddenly she demonstrated something that made her clean. Her faith, right? Her faith that Jesus was the Messiah. That he could cast out the demon out of her daughter. And that faith is what qualified her to receive from God, not following all the rules, because she was a, uh, a Gentile, living in a Gentile region, so I can pretty well guarantee you she didn't follow any of the Jewish rules. Only faith that Jesus is the one and only who can set us free and make us righteous in God's presence. Next week we're going to be in... Uh, the latter verses of chapter 7, the first verse of chapter 8, in a lesson called Ears to Hear. See you then. God bless you.